Very well. Well, today we continue on in the Christian theology series, particularly in um, the nature of salvation. You see at the top of what is correctly labeled page 43 that uh, we are in section 7, the nature of salvation. The lesson that we're starting today is the final lesson in this section titled, A Life Set Apart. And so we've been talking about some of these themes already leading up to this point. But today I want to make a few things uh, clear to make sure that we are all just without any kind of hesitation on the same page here when it comes to the important matters of justification and sanctification. My goal today is to get us through page 43, through that box that's on the bottom. I think we can do it. So uh, I'll pray and we will uh, work together toward that goal. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day that you've made and this opportunity that we have to worship you together, to serve you, and to honor you. Help us to build one another up, to uh, care for one another, to uh, admonish and teach, instructing one another in the songs that we sing and in the time that we have together in your word. Help us today to uh, really cherish what it is that you've given us to be joyful from the heart, and to please you with the way that we live and and worship here together today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about um, some sanctification stuff. First, just a a bit of a review as we think about where we've been. Oh, come on now. Okay, we should be good now. At the moment of salvation, God does an irreversible work in the Christian's life, causing him to be born again. So that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, what it means to be born again, what regeneration is. And this is what you have at the top of your sheet to fill in a couple of blanks. As the Christian lives out his faith, cooperation with God and obedience to his commands must take place for growth. All right, so as we just think about some real basic terms... Uh, salvation and sanctification. I'll write uh, the word sanctification up here first. And we'll, we'll talk about that word in a moment, but that basically gets to this uh, living out faith, um, this becoming more and more like Christ. Where does salvation exist on the timeline in relation to sanctification? Where does... Uh, Initial salvation, first belief, being born again. Where does that exist in relation to sanctification? Good, yeah. It has to come before. And today, the word we're really going to hone in on is justification. Okay? This comes before, and that leads to sanctification. What will happen sometimes in uh, false religions is these two things get reversed. And is that good news or bad news? Bad news, because if you were called by God to sanctify yourself, to make yourself eligible to be saved by God, how would you do with that? Very poorly. Would anybody be saved? No, no one would be saved. And so it's very, very important that we get this order correct, okay? Justification has to come before sanctification. Now, the two go together. You you get them together. It's a package deal. And really what you could say, I've got these new colors with markers now. This is great. I can really mix it up. What you could say is that this is the salvation package. Like we can often refer to uh, salvation meaning just this justification, the initial belief. I did that just a moment ago. And that's fine. But biblically speaking, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved in the future. What is the, uh, the step? This is really going to test you here with theological terms, I guess. Well, it won't test you too much, but what comes after sanctification at the end? Glorification, okay? Your resurrection, like Christ's resurrection, it leads to glorification. And so this is the, uh, the idea that we see in Scripture when it says we have been saved, I'm just turning into a regular Picasso up here with all these colors. We are being saved, and we will be saved. 
So salvation encompasses all of these things, but this order is really, really important. Understanding the order of how this works is critical. If you get them out of order, then you end up with a different gospel and your good news turns into bad news in a hurry. Okay? So thoughts or questions on that review so far? All right, John Owen in his book, The Mortification of Sin. John Owen was a Puritan. He lived hundreds of years ago. So he writes better than we write today. He says, He, in reference to God, take the dry, parched ground of my soul to become a pool, and my thirsty, barren heart as springs of water. Yes, he can make this habitation of dragons, this heart which is so full of abominable lusts and fiery temptations to be a place of bounty and fruitfulness unto himself. That's nice. Don't you like the way they would just write back then? I mean, it's not many people write that way. But he's getting to the heart of sanctification. This is what we're going to be talking about today and next week, sanctification. But justification comes first. Wayne Grudem, in his much more modern book, his Systematic Theology, he says that sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Now, he says work of God and man, not meaning that man gets any of the credit for his righteousness. We know that ultimately anything we do that is good is attributed to God. It should be. However, we understand too in sanctification, there's a cooperation aspect. Will God get you out of, the be out of bed in the morning and bring you to church? No. We know this to be the case, don't we? Uh, you have to cooperate with the Spirit of God who is leading and guiding you. We are commanded not to grieve the Spirit, but instead to yield to the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. So there's some responsibility here on man's part. So let's go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 to look at this in more detail. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Let's see how the New Testament speaks of this sanctification that we will be studying. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Who can read that for us? Mike, you got it? Thank you. All right. Very important passage on sanctification. What concept do you see Paul introducing here in verse 1? If you just hone in on verse 1, what concept is Paul getting to here? Very good. Yeah. And walk, of course, is a, just a term that can be used to mean live right? How, how you go about living your life, the decisions you make. So how you live your life, how you prioritize your life, the decisions you make day in and day out, it's about pleasing God. Okay. Now what about verse 2? What does he state specifically about how we are to do that? Okay. And from the authority of Jesus, we are given commandments. Good. So because... Jesus is Lord. Lord is a term of authority. Lord means master. Okay. Because he is master and he has all authority over you and your life, you pay attention to these commandments that the apostles have given us based on his authority that we may walk and please God. Now, it's interesting. What, what specific area of sanctification 
does Paul have in view here in this passage? Right, yeah. To be sexually pure, right? So you see this in verses 3 and following. It's really verses uh, 3 to 6 that hone in on this. But that each one know how to possess his own vessel, it says in verse 4. In sanctification, there's our word, and in honor. Look what it's contrasted with. If you're not possessing your own vessel, living with your body in sanctification and honor, verse 5, the opposite of that is lustful passion, sinfulness. It's this body that God has given you that is to be used for Him and for His purposes. You know, some people uh, will kind of live out this old heresy. It's the Gnostic heresy, thinking that the body's bad. The body is bad. Spiritual stuff is good. Physical stuff is bad. That's not true. Who made all the physical stuff, including your body? God did. And what's He going to do with all of it? Well, He's going to redeem it all, isn't He? I mean, you think of eternity, the new earth that we will be living in, it's going to be a very tangible, physical earth. And you'll have a body forever and ever. You're not going to be a disembodied ghost floating around, playing your little disembodied ghostly harp. That's not what heaven's going to be. Heaven's going to be very tangible, and we'll all be together on an earth. It'll be great. So what's the link here between calling, regeneration, and sanctification? If we consider the words that are given to us in this passage, what's the link? Well, we already kind of talked about it. If we were to add calling into this, um, I will use black again. Okay? Our calling comes from God, and we've covered this in previous lessons, that it's an effectual calling that those whom God has chosen for salvation will be saved, and that calling of God comes at a moment in time in their lives, and that results in their justification. When we say it's an effectual calling, effectual, you see that first part is effect. His calling has an effect, and the effect is our justification. But this is the order, okay? Calling and justification with our new birth and all of that leading into sanctification, which eventually leads us into glorification. So that's, that's the order. We've got to keep that in mind. If we miss that, there you go, then uh, we are really uh, getting the gospel twisted around. Okay, thoughts on that? Questions? Making sense? Should be. Another blank for you to fill in. The word for sanctification means to become holy. It is a Godward transformation process. Okay? Sanctification means to become holy. It means to be progressively set apart. It's a, uh, it's a word that indicates a process. And it's a transformation process. It's not something that happens overnight. And we'll talk about this uh, maybe when we get into next week. Bless you. But uh, you are given a new nature overnight. You're given, a, I mean, if you're saved at night, I guess. Uh, but you're, you're given a new nature at the moment of belief. That happens in an instant. Now, your living and your outward behavior lining up with that new nature, that does not happen overnight. In fact, it never perfectly happens in this life. However, over the course of your life, however many days God gives you, however much breath He puts in your lungs, over the course of that time, you will be continually transformed as God works in you. Okay, that's the promise of God. That's what he's up to. And sanctification is a very new covenant concept. There is no real equivalent to the idea in the Hebrew Old Covenant. Or you can just think New Testament, Old Testament. So the sanctification that we're reading about in 1 Thessalonians 4, for example, you don't really have that kind of chatter going on in the Old Testament. It's, it's really rooted in the New Testament. Why do you think that is? Put your thinking caps on here. Why is it that sanctification is so explicit in the New Testament and not so much in the Old Testament? Okay. Yeah, where did they get their instruction for those atonements? Yes. And sometimes that's summed up as the law, right? 
Yeah, the, the law of God that was given through Moses to Israel was what they had over them all the time, the law. 600 plus commandments given to them, etched in stone, the authority of God saying, this is what you are to do. What did they not have that we now have? Good. So if you're still in 1 Thessalonians 4, look at the bottom there, that passage, verse 8. Look at how that passage concludes. If a person rejects this sanctification, he's not rejecting man, but he's rejecting the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. At the heart of our sanctification is the reality that God now permanently indwells us. That did not happen in the Old Covenant. They were not under grace. They were under law. They did not have the indwelling of the Spirit. We do. You think that makes a difference in your ability to have victory over sin? <laughs> you better believe it. If you're living in such a way like, well, we're just the same as those living in the Old Covenant, you're missing a really big aspect of all of this. That God has given Himself to us. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now gives life to your mortal bodies. That's a big deal. That sin that you think that you can't stop doing, you can. That habit that you have and you think, wow, well, I just, I can't. God can't change that about me. Don't ever say God can't unless it's something that God has specifically said in his word that he won't do. But when it comes to sin, especially God can. And this is really, really good news for the believer. This is from MacArthur and Mayhew. When the Spirit imparts spiritual life into the soul of the dead sinner, opening his eyes to the filth of sin and the glory of Jesus, man's nature is sanctified, definitively transformed from spiritual death to spiritual life, such that Scripture calls him a new creation. The holy disposition that is strengthened throughout the believer's progressive sanctification, a lot of big words there, is that same holy disposition that is born in the believer at regeneration. Wow. In this sense, regeneration is the beginning of sanctification. So what's he saying? It's the same thing as what we have up here on the chart, okay? We don't want to overcomplicate it. But we have here, when it comes to this living for God in a way that pleases Him, we have a definite beginning. From birth, you're not able to live for God in a way that pleases Him. You have to be born again. And so you have this beginning of regeneration or being born again. We, again, we've talked about this past few weeks. But that is the beginning of this life set apart for Christ. You can't do it without being regenerated. Now, at the regeneration, there comes what MacArthur was just talking about there, a new nature. So, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have two natures. You have, and again, we'll get into this more next week, but just to introduce the idea, you have this new creature that God has made. Your spirit has been born again. You have new desires, and you have new hatreds. You, you love God, and you want to do what pleases Him, and you hate that which is evil. That comes from a new, new nature. Didn't have that before this. Didn't have that before regeneration. But you're not able to do it perfectly because there's a second nature, and that's the one you've had all along. You have the flesh still. You are in a body of death. This, this new creature that God has made is like trapped in here, this fallen thing that you have, your flesh and bones. And this desire still to rebel, it remains. But with your new nature, God has given you a pathway to victory. He's given you a new nature. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you the ability to have victory over any sin, obedience in any moment. You have that ability as a Christian. You won't ever be perfect. That old nature will never be eradicated in this life. In fact, as you look at this, when does that old nature get eradicated? At what point? Glorification. Right. This is our resurrection moment. And then you have a resurrection, resurrected body. And that old nature is gone. All that there is is the new nature when body and soul come back together in the resurrection. Okay? So, we'll, again, we'll talk about it in more detail, but I just wanted to kind of get your minds going in that direction. How sanctification is possible. It's possible because of the power of God and causing you to be born again, making you a new creature, giving you a new nature, giving you His Spirit. 
And now you can wage war against the flesh. Surely there's a question on something in there. Or a thought. Not even, it doesn't have to be a question. Just any kind of feedback. Should I say something more outlandish? Okay, Joe, thank you for keeping me from saying something crazy. Wow, you said that's simple, huh? Make you want to clean your house. Is cleaning, is cleaning your house good? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so what you are pointing out is an area of life where there are different standards because God's word doesn't define what a clean house looks like, right? So for instance, um, someone may know they have company coming over and scurry and pick up their house and think, ooh, I have a clean house. It looks good. And their company comes over and their company has higher standards and their company's like, whoa, they need to clean their house. Okay. So we have different standards. Well, which one, who's right in that scenario? Well, the Bible doesn't outline, here's what a clean house looks like, okay? So have that in mind, first of all, and issues like that. But the second thing to know is um, God has called you to be a good steward of what he has given you. And so as you consider that more and you read about that more in Scripture and you pray about that more, he will certainly lead you by his spirit into the directions that he's called you to be a good steward. And that might be one of those areas. How's that for an answer? I don't think that was a simple question. To get rid of procrastination. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's something we're called to do, not tomorrow, but if we know God is calling us to do it, yeah, that's it. There you go. Yep. Or as Wayne often tells me, what Wayne says, uh, don't do today what you could do tomorrow. That's what Wayne says. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all procrastinate in some ways, don't we? Any other thoughts, questions? Connie? Mm-hmm. Let's uh, look at John 6.44 real quick. John chapter 6. Verse 44, and I'm going to pull up a verse in 1 Peter 1. All right, so uh, John 6, 44, someone read that for us. Who's got it? Okay, thank you, Jen. Okay, what is the prerequisite there for coming to Jesus? What has to happen before anybody can have the come to Jesus moment? Okay. We are reliant on the drawing of the Father. We are reliant on God working in someone's life in order for that person to come to Christ. Okay, so have that in mind. Now let me read to you 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This apostle says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who has caused you to be born again? God has. And I think it's really interesting that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, he could have used any illustration he wanted when it came to talking about regeneration. He could have used um, anything. But he chose this illustration of being born. And when you were brought into this world, when you were born, who caused you to be born? Well, you could say, of course, God did, but also your parents did, right? Were you around to cast a vote? No, you weren't. And I think there's something that's being instructed here 
in that illustration. Why does God use that illustration? Because he's the one who's in charge of this. He's the one who does the drawing. He's the one who does the causing and the effect. So he's the cause and the effect through his drawing. Anyone who the Father draws to the Son will be saved. And Jesus says in other places uh, that he will lose none who the Father has given to him. That means the Father has given certain souls to the Son, and He's not going to lose any of them. They will not die and go to hell. It won't happen. Very, very important to realize. And now, so that happened in eternity past, where the Father has chosen and predestined and all that happened before you were born. And so you're born and you're living your life, and at a moment in time comes this calling upon those whom God has chosen. And it leads right into their being born again and being justified, being saved. Okay? That's what that's all about. Make sense? Okay. You bet. Dean. Yeah. Yeah. That's because for the majority of us, that calling... And that drawing didn't all happen in like one night and then we became a Christian. Where it's like, God wasn't doing anything in my life that I could tell. And then just one night, it all happened. Most people have, you know, I think back when I was 12, this happened. And when I was a senior in high school, I had this thing happen. And it kind of compounds, compounds, compounds. And it's really cool. Now, there are some people where it's just like, I didn't know anything about God. No No Christian was in my life. Nothing was happening. And then it all just happened at once. That does happen. But most of us, yeah, the, the calling of God, the drawing of God is over the course of time in some pretty cool ways. Good. All right, well, let's look at uh, Philippians 1. Okay, if you're in 1 Thessalonians 4, just go back a little bit. Or if you're, I guess you were in John, turn forward to Philippians chapter 1. The first six verses of the book, the opening six verses. I get a volunteer to read the opening of the letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Thank you, Aubrey. Amen. Thank you. Good job. Believers are saved. Look at this phrase. It's in verse 5. Believers are saved to participate in the gospel. So that means that this area of your life, I'll use red again, this area of your life, which lasts from uh, initial faith till death, That's the area you're in now. You're spending a lot of time in this part of the timeline here. That is for participation in the gospel. So this sanctification does not happen apart from the gospel. Very important to recognize. The gospel is the message that you got up front. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ about what he did on your behalf, who Jesus is, and and why he did it. All of that is gospel. Your sanctification is built on top of that. It, it flows out from that. It's not a totally new thing. It's not like, okay, I, I believed the gospel. Well, now it's time for me to graduate from that and get to work on other stuff. That's not how this works. Those two things are very much linked together. In fact, so much so that your sanctification could be called participation in the gospel. Additionally, verse 6, very good memory verse, verse 6, God is the one who gets credit for our growth and he is faithful to do it. Paul says, I am confident of this very thing. The one who began a good work in you. That's back here. God gets credit for the new birth. He caused us to be born again. He's the one who drew us to the Son. He began the work in us. He is confident, Paul says, 
that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day that you get your resurrected body. Okay? He is faithful to keep you and to perfect what he has started. Okay? Good. This progressive work begins at conversion. No unregenerate person will ever be conformed to the image of Christ. And this is very important too. Because sometimes what we can do as Christians, this can, we can do this with our kids, we can do this with other people's kids, we can do this with our neighbors, we can do this with whoever, is we want to talk to them about this stuff even though they haven't had any of this stuff. We want to talk to them about what's right and what's wrong, the commandments of the Lord Jesus, without them understanding and believing the gospel. How's that going to go? Very poorly. Because remember, we were just talking about you can't switch sanctification and justification. You, you don't lead up to the moment of salvation by doing good works, by obeying the law. That doesn't lead to salvation. You can't effectively live for God. You can't live in a way that pleases God without being born again. You can't be like Jesus and be made more and more like Jesus progressively day by day without believing in Jesus, okay? We have to have the right order here and uh, make sure that the gospel always comes first. Gospel is first. The unbeliever is regenerated and justified by faith, then begins a life as a believer of growing in righteousness with faith remaining as the foundation. That's how this works. That's how these things play together here. And if we, again, mix this up, then you got a mixed up gospel. That's not good. Questions or thoughts here? Great. All right, well, let's look at the box. Let's get into the box now about justification and sanctification. And you can see I've, I've given you just some simple phrases that relate to the titles. Justification means we've been declared righteous. Sanctification is this idea that we are to become holy. If you're a Christian, this is what justification means to you. God has, past tense, declared you to be righteous. If you're a Christian, this is what sanctification means to you. You are now to become holy by the way that you live over the course of your life. And God is faithful to do that in your heart. I've come up to my next typo now. You can see that I've given you the first one on the list on the left. It says internal condition. It is not supposed to say that. So scratch that out. Uh, make it go away as much as you can. Oh, man, I need to go a little bit slower when I make these. Okay, That is not supposed to say internal condition. Instead, that is supposed to say legal standing. Legal standing. Legal standing. Justification is a, uh, a legal term. To be declared innocent. Okay? to be declared righteous, to be declared not guilty. So your legal standing before God is that you're justified. And that's good. In fact, that's like the best news ever. Never ever to be guilty in His sight, you are justified. Now you can also write next to that that this is fixed. Right? Fixed. It doesn't change. Your justification will never be reversed. God will never go back and say, Ah, I made a mistake. Uh, Sarah's not innocent. She's guilty. God will never do that. <laughs> okay? God will always look at Sarah as his daughter who is completely righteous in his sight because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on her behalf. And the same goes for every believer in the world. Very, very good news. Okay, now, so the one you're to add next to that for sanctification as opposed to a legal standing, sanctification is a condition that is both internal and external. It's a condition of the heart, meaning your desires, your motives, your intentions, but also external, what you do with those motives and desires and intentions, the way that you live. As we just saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, your behavior, either being pure or impure, moral or immoral. So you can write next to that also, influx. Your justification is fixed, but your sanctification is in flux. 
You have good sanctification days and you have bad sanctification days, don't you? In fact, you might have good sanctification seasons and bad sanctification seasons. Justification is fixed. Justification is a legal standing done. The paperwork God has done on that is final. But when it comes to your sanctification, you are still in this body of death. Times you're going up, times you're going down. Okay? But we know, we recognize that God is faithful to bring you along through the ups and downs. All right, I think we're good on typos now for the rest. I think we should be covered. Difference between justification and sanctification here is that justification is once for all time. It is something that happens in a moment, in an instant. God says it, it is done, it happens once, you have no need to be justified again. Sanctification, on the other hand, is continuous through life. I mean, your justification not only happened during one year of your life, it not only happened during one month, not only during one day, it happened like during one instant of your life. You experience that justification from God that is permanent. Sanctification, though, is every second of your life since then. As you're dealing with sanctification, making choices, being worked on from the inside out by God himself. Very big distinction here between justification and sanctification. Justification happens without our cooperation. God is the judge. You do not get to sit in his judgment seat and also justify yourself. God is the one who justifies you. He does that on his own. But with your sanctification, it is uh, imperative that you cooperate with God. I mean, quite literally imperative in the grammar when you read the New Testament. What the Christian is called to do, you are given commands that relate to your sanctification. That means you cooperate with God. Now, again, at the end, God gets all the credit because the whole reason you're in sanctification is because God justified you. But you are called to cooperate. Fourthly, justification is perfect in this life. You currently, Christian, possess perfect justification. It's not like, yeah, God has said that he loves you but, uh, you know, it's up to you to try to get up to a higher plane of existence or something in your relationship with God. That's not the case. You've been perfectly justified and adopted by God. It can't get any better. Your justification cannot get any better. Sanctification, on the other hand, is never perfect in this life. And I use that word perfect specifically here because there's actually a view um, that it could be called perfectionism or total sanctification. It's a view that some people in church history have held that says in this life, your new nature will be able to totally, completely put to death the old nature and you will become perfect. <laughs> it's like those guys never lived before or something. It's like, are you serious? <laughs> you could you teach that, huh? That's what some people used to teach is that you could become perfect in this life. Can't happen. Now, can you get more mature and more discerning? Can you make better choices and have a, a life that is, I don't know, more accurately aligned with God's word, generally speaking? Yes, all of that can happen, 100%. Okay? But as far as perfection, no. That's not going to happen in this life. Okay? Fifthly, justification is the same in all Christians. Whereas sanctification is greater in some than others. There are some people in this life who are farther along in their Christian maturity than others. And all of us have somebody who's farther along than we are, and all of us have somebody who's further behind than we are. In fact, you could say instead of somebody, we all have a lot of people ahead of us and a lot of people behind us. That's just the way it is. Okay? And it's not your job to figure out where you rank in the world Christian rankings on how sanctified or holy you are, okay? That's not the intent of this. But the idea is that there are those who are farther along in the faith than others. But with justification, not so. All even. With justification, I mean, think of like the holiest Christian that you know. Someone who's a true, genuine believer in the biblical gospel. Your justification is exactly the same as that person. Your legal standing before God is exactly the same. Exactly the same. 
Now, when it comes to um, as far as how many works that you've done for God and how much life that you've had uh, to live to be able to do those works, that will all vary. And, And that's a conversation that's worth having. But as far as your entrance into heaven, the exact same. Exact same. Okay? And then lastly, I'll pause after this one and see if you guys got any questions. Justification is by faith alone. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's faith alone. There's no list of works, no list of commands that gets you to salvation. Justification happens by grace through faith. Sanctification, on the other hand, is, of course, by faith. First and foremost, the gospel doesn't go away. But there's also applied wisdom. You need to take what you're reading in the Word of God, the wisdom that you're getting from godly counselors, and apply it to your life. And also this repudiation of sin, fighting against sin, repentance, ongoing, day by day, repenting of those things that God brings to your attention in your life. Oh, okay, I've been... I messed up here. I messed up there. Happens to all of us all the time. It should, anyway, if you're spiritually alive. And then you, you repent. You say, Lord, please forgive me of that. And you seek out a new pathway forward. That's sanctification, day by day. That, that should be going through your mind. Justification, though, done. Faith alone. And it happened in the past. So those are some critical distinctions between justification and sanctification. Wanted to spend the time doing that so we can get this right, even though I didn't really space it on the board very well, uh, that we can just make sure we understand the differences and get the order correct. Okay? So thoughts or questions on any of that stuff? Good. Yeah, amen. I totally agree. Very appropriate use of the word awesome, right? This is awesome. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we can acknowledge the general idea that we're farther along than some people and we're well behind other people. But how, how good is our judgment to determine if we are, uh, you know, 13,752nd in the world, Christian rankings, or not? Don't ever, ever play that game. Okay? Just recognize, generally speaking, we're all works in progress, and we all need each other. Okay? Other thoughts, questions? A little quiet today. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then we lose, we drop down in the rankings. <laughs> as soon as we start talking about rankings, we drop down in the rankings. Yeah. So uh, not, not, a good, not a good thing to do. And God sees the heart. Man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart. And uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 is a very important verse to remember when it comes to like that topic of sanctification with others. It says, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait for the the Lord Jesus to return. And when he does, he will reveal the thoughts and the intents of each one's heart, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. But don't get ahead of Jesus. Jesus has, it specifically says that Jesus is coming back to to judge us and to get those rankings all situated, right? Don't get ahead of him. How about you wait for him to do it, okay? Go. Oh, yeah, it will. It will. We've been talking about that on uh, Tuesday mornings in the men's group as we're going through the book, Heavenly Rewards, the Christian's Judgment. It says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there, there was a section in there where we discussed, does that mean we'll be all together or we'll all go into a, room, a closed-door meeting with Jesus? We'll go into a room? Which one will it be? And uh, it sure seems like it'll be public for us all.
Yeah. There has to be, like, this is what I've told people before. You know, like, when you get um, an alarm clock or something, the electronic device, usually on the bottom, there's that little hole, and it says reset, and you got to get a safety pin or something and go in, because the, you, you want to really make sure you're hitting that button for the right purpose, because it's like a whole total reset. I've encouraged people who are transitioning from Latter-day Saint faith to find that button in their brain, and we'll just do a whole factory reset. Because if you take the existing materials, too many things have been redefined. It's the same word, but new definition. It's, it's so many connections that are in there that aren't supposed to be there. And really, the only way to do it right, well, I shouldn't say the only way. The most efficient way to do it right is to say, let's do the men in black, boop, erase your memory thing, and learn everything over again from the Bible. And it's really hard for people to do. But that's, that's what I always encourage them to do. Because this is just embedded. The, the reversal of all this and the jumbling up of all this is just embedded. So to say, let's just set all of it aside and learn something completely new. Yeah. Connie? <laughs> yeah, all right. Great question. So any why question, I safely answer with, because God is most glorified that way. So my wife, why did she get saved, it appears, at four years old? Or my children. I mean, my, it seems like Ada came out of the womb a Christian. I know it's not true. I have better theology than that. But it's just like, she's just like this precious little Christian girl. Okay, but for me... It was not only when I was 16, but it was through tragic life circumstances. Why did it take all of that? Did all that have to happen? Well, I, God doesn't reveal those things, that, those hidden things. But he does let us know it's, it's for his glory. All things are happening for his glory, and he's most glorified that way. Um, now, that said, so we have that squared away. Another thing to consider is that, yes, we are stubborn sinners from birth who don't listen very well who ignore the uh, convictions of the Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 16, Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're really good in our natural state at ignoring that. Yeah, that's right. All right, so a lot of that blame you know, falls right on us. Um, being around truth and not liking it, there was plenty of that in our lives, right? No matter how much truth. There were some people who had a whole lot of truth, and some people just had a little Either way, I think we all had some. Uh, Romans chapter 1 brings out natural revelation, looking around and seeing everything and recognizing God made it all and he's in charge. Therefore, submit to him. We were really good at suppressing that down and replacing it with a lie and telling ourselves, no, we, we're God. We're in charge. So yes, that, that blame falls on us. There is this reality of God's calling comes into our life at a time of his choosing why does he do it at different times for different people? He's most glorified with all that. He knows all of that. He's got a purpose in all that. For our part, we need to own up to the blame of, yeah, we rejected all that he had given us in our lives um, to be our own God. And so we can look back and say that was our fault and just be thankful that we are where we are now because of his grace. Dean. Yes. Yeah, right.
Yep, Melissa can't go back to her old drinking buddies and talk about the gospel, right? Okay. Um, but she's going to be really effective at talking to people who were raised in Christian homes who faked faith for a while or had that temptation to do so and struggle with knowing, okay, I was raised in a Christian home, so how do I know when I really, truly actually believed? Melissa will be able to speak to that way more effectively than I could. And I was saved in high school, in the middle of high school, and I was a bad kid. And what a testimony to God that I changed between my sophomore and junior years. That was, what a, I mean, that's a, it was a unique thing in our high school, a small school, unique, unique thing. And then for someone who is saved much later, so Rex, how old were you in 2006 when you were born again? <laughs> Let's see. You were born in 49, so it's 51 plus, so you're 57. You're 57 and a half, in fact. Okay. And how powerful the relationships that you had and the life change that people could see in you at 57, right? That... I mean, so, so God has his ways of doing all this, and I think it's much more beautiful than if it were uniform. And that's one of the critical distinctions between biblical Christianity and false religion. False religion makes everything uniform. In fact, sometimes they give people uniforms and say, you got to wear this, okay? What God does is he makes things diverse and beautiful. There's diversity in God's program, and I think that's just a delight. I love talking to all you people and hearing all your different stories, and I think it's wonderful. Rex and then Brandon, and then we'll go on. There wasn't any of this going on? <laughs> Yeah, yep. And now you're in the promised land, baby. Brandon. Yes. Amen. Yeah. That's right. When Jesus declares his victory and authority over a soul that Satan had in his grasp. Amen. Yeah. Love it. Good stuff. All right. Well, let me pray and then we'll uh, move on to the next thing. Father, we thank you again so much for this day and also for this salvation that we have in Christ. Help us today to grow in that, to grow in our love and knowledge and in the way that we are able to lead others, particularly children, into the truth. Help us as we do this together for your glory in Jesus' name.